And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Phil Jackson, Zen Master. Phil Jackson, throughout his coaching tenure, he was viewed as almost professorial, a savant, kind of almost above sports. 13-time NBA champion. Phil, how is this 11th championship different than, say, 9 and especially 10 last year? I don't know if we'd won this game without these fans. Thank you. Separate to Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant. P.J., I've said it once, I've said it many times, you're the greatest coach ever coach. And a living link to the Knicks' last championship-winning teams. Three, two, one, we have a new NBA champion. The peyote-eating prodigal son was on his way back home to help save the Knicks franchise. This is what he brought to the table, which was absolutely nothing. That is the legacy of Phil Jackson as an executive. And thank the good Lord that it is over. This is Shattered, Episode 6, The Triangulation of Phil Jackson. Ever since James Dolan took control of the Knicks, Phil Jackson had been the franchise's white whale. The quest for Phil began in 1999, Dolan's first year as controlling owner of the Knicks. The team fired its general manager, Ernie Grunfeld, and was thinking of firing his head coach, Jeff Van Gundy. MSG president Dave Checkets held a secret meeting with Phil to see if he wanted the job. But Van Gundy was able to turn things around, and the Knicks went on a miraculous run to the NBA Finals that season. And NBA history has just been made. The New York Knicks are the first eight seed to ever make the NBA Finals. Then, in 2005, Knicks team president Isaiah Thomas tried to hire Phil as a head coach, but had to settle for Larry Brown after Phil signed up for another tour of duty with the Los Angeles Lakers. In March of 2014, after years of chasing the Zen master, James Dolan finally was able to get his man with the help of a powerful friend. Jim Dolan hired Phil Jackson for a couple reasons, not least of which was that Jim Dolan's good buddy, Irving Azoff, Howard Beck from Sports Illustrated, music industry titan, and a mutual friend of both Dolan and Phil, had recommended this. He brought them together. There was a, you know, a, a really detailed report in the New York Times about a, a party, I think, at Azoff's house where both of them were there. He brought them together. He, he kind of hatched this idea. But then Dolan ran with it. And Phil Jackson, of course, ran with it. Welcome all of you to this historic day in the history of the New York Knicks as we welcome 13-time NBA champion Phil Jackson to our organization as president. Two of Phil's 13 championships are what mattered the most to the Knicks. In 1967, Phil was a gangly, sharp elbow power forward prospect when the Knicks drafted him in the second round. It was the same draft that the Knicks took one of the most important people in franchise history, Walt Clyde Frazier. 
Their arrival together at the Garden coincided with the franchise's golden era. Here on New York's west side, tonight it's a one-game showdown as New York and Los Angeles are tied after six games in their best-of-seven title series. Under Hall of Fame coach Red Holtzman, the Knicks of the late 60s and early 70s went to three NBA Finals in four seasons, winning two championships. At the press conference announcing his hiring, Phil's history with the Knicks was heavily emphasized. Even a letter from the Holtzman family was read aloud. Red would have been so pleased to have seen Phil walk through the doors of Madison Square Garden again as a member of the organization he loved so dearly. But when Phil stepped to the mic, the very first words out of his mouth encapsulated what would go wrong during his entire tenure. Well, thank you all for coming out. It's an auspicious beginning, to say the least. I don't have prepared remarks, as you can see. I'm shooting from the cuff. As we would find out later, a lack of preparation and Phil's penchant for shooting off the cuff would be part of his downfall with the Knicks. But at the time, Howard Beck says the hiring of Phil solved one of the major issues surrounding the franchise. It pushed James Dolan further away from making basketball decisions. When we ask this in basketball terms, why did Jim Dolan hire Phil Jackson to run basketball operations? Because there's a lot about that that doesn't necessarily make sense. Phil Jackson had never been a GM or an assistant GM or a team president and had been out of the the league for a few years by that point, having retired as, as Lakers coach in 2011. So why is he the one who makes sense? It goes back to what I, what I will always tell you about Jim Dolan and the way he runs the Knicks. He loves hiring big names. And Phil Jackson was a big name and had 11 championships as a head coach. At that time, Jim Dolan was, again, under intense fire. Fans were threatening to stage a protest outside the garden. He hires Phil Jackson at the exact right time to take the pressure and the attention off of himself and say, ah, I'm out. Out goes James Dolan. In comes Phil Jackson a man who has more championship rings than fingers to put those rings onto. Waz Lambre, a New York native and sports and culture writer at The Athletic, says Phil's hiring allowed Knicks fans to actually believe things were going to be different. You got to understand, the expectations, obviously, it's Phil Jackson. He's the champion of champions, right? <laughs> like, he won two as a Nick, won six as a Bull, won Five as a Laker, we're talking about a dozen championships here, right? So the expectation on the ground from the people in New York is like, this guy is going to be a savior because he's clearly one of the greatest basketball minds ever. While it felt like a no-brainer hiring Phil, his history in basketball did not exactly align with what it took to run a team. You know, was Phil Jackson the right guy? Look, Phil Jackson... I knew this from years ago. He never wanted to be the guy who had to deal with agents day to day. That's the last thing Phil Jackson would ever want to do is, is, is talking to agents, negotiating with agents, schmoozing with agents. He's not a schmoozer. That's not something that would have ever appealed to him. Traveling the world scouting would not have appealed to Phil, especially in the physical condition he was in at that point and the age he was. Phil Jackson wasn't trying to be in some sweaty-ass ACC gym on a February night scouting players. Phil Jackson wasn't trying to do that. Phil Jackson wasn't a grinder. He wasn't going to work the phones. He wasn't going to become some capologist. Obviously, he should have been farming out all of those duties. But Phil Jackson was never going to come into this job and throw his entire self into it. And you know that because they had to beg him to take it. Phil's arrival was seen as a significant culture change for the Knicks. But Howard Beck says in reality, very little change behind the scenes. 
what has happened at the Garden over time is that a lot of people's positions have just kind of calcified. They are Dolan loyalists. Some of them were good at their jobs, some not so great at their jobs, but they were entrenched. And I think that the only way that the Garden and the Knicks were ever going to get on the right path was to just blow it up and start over from top to bottom, but especially in basketball operations. Well, Phil Jackson came in and was immediately handcuffed on that side of it. Now, I'm not saying that Phil Jackson would have succeeded if not for those handcuffs, but it made it harder. From 1989 to 2000, uh, I worked with the Chicago Bulls, and that's where I got to know Phil Jackson. Clarence Gaines Jr. got into professional basketball after being hired as a scout by Chicago Bulls general manager Jerry Krause. Gaines and Phil developed a relationship, and in 2014, when it came time to take over the Knicks, Gaines was Phil's only significant front office hire. Yes, he basically... Uh, decided to keep everybody else and work with him. Because, you know, the way it went down was that Dolan um, brought Steve Mills in after he fired uh, Len Gunwell. And Steve was the president. He decided he wanted to bring Phil in, but wanted to keep Steve in the mix as well. So those two had to, I think they went out on a retreat together to get to know each other better. And they decided they could work with each other. And, and you know, that's how things came to fruition there. Steve Mills moved into the Knicks general manager position under Phil. If the Knicks franchise was a home, Phil's hiring would be most like adding a new kitchen, an addition, not a full makeover. I always give credit to the survivors who are able to su survive regimes. You know, we have a few people in the Knicks organization who are surviving the current regime. You know, they, it, it's amazing. So you, know, you have to have. Um, some some uh, some talent, some interesting. Um, I don't want to say political skills, but uh, you, you just have to be very flexible from that standpoint. The Knicks front office, led by Phil Jackson and Steve Mills, made their first major move, firing Mike Woodson as head coach. There seemed to be a clear favorite early on for his replacement. Steve and I talked. I know philosophically we have a a strong connection. Whether he's able to uh, take a job like this, I don't know. Steve Kerr was interested in becoming a head coach. Kerr played under Phil with the Chicago Bulls, and the two had a close relationship. Kerr even gave Phil a verbal commitment that he'd take the Knicks job. But as the contract negotiations dragged on, the Warriors job opened up. Of course, Kerr ended up in Golden State and went on to win three NBA championships. So why couldn't the Knicks close the deal with Kerr? When we asked Gaines about that, he says he never asked Phil specifically why Kerr didn't sign, but answered the question this way. I know about as much as you do in terms of uh, how close it was. Uh, here's what has been reported in the media, uh, whether it's true or not. You know, I'll let you decide and let your viewers decide or your readers decide. You know, Phil was hired and identified a guy who was going to be Great coach. Steve will probably go down now as a Hall of Fame coach, right? Uh, Steve wanted X amount of money. Jim Dolan didn't think at the time he was worth that amount of money. And then Golden State swoops in and Steve says, oh, wow, look at how this is set up for success. Things have a way of working out. So it, was, it wasn't meant to be. In searching for the next head coach, Phil followed the same playbook that made him interested in Steve Kerr. Phil wanted someone he was familiar with and someone who knew the benefits of the triangle offense, the unique offensive system 
that Phil has used his entire head coaching career. Under that criteria, there just happened to be another former player of Phil's who was thinking of changing careers and getting into coaching. We're here today to announce the 26th head coach in the history of the New York Knicks, Derek Fisher. Derek Fisher, then 39 years old, had just finished up an 18-year NBA career. Never a star, Fisher was the ultimate role player on title-winning teams with the Lakers, teams coached by Phil Jackson. Phil saw Fisher as a great bridge between himself and the team and what's happening on the court. Ian Begley, SNY's NBA reporter and host of The Putback, SNY.TV's weekly digital NBA show, says Fisher's hiring made sense for the type of team Phil wanted to see on the floor. He thought it would be or he hoped it would be this seamless thing. Met with resistance, I think, early on and really throughout Derek Fisher's tenure, the idea of Phil's input into specifically what's happening on the floor. Uh, hindsight's twenty twenty. If he had come down 20 rows uh, from his seat at Nick Games at the Garden and, and been the head coach, I think things would have gone much differently for him in New York. Physically, he couldn't do that. But I think in hiring Fisher, he felt that that was maybe the, the closest approximation of, of himself or the best way for him to get his vision of basketball on the floor without coaching. The triangle offense something that became a curse word for Knicks fans during Phil Jackson's time at the Garden. Phil's belief in the triangle offense sits somewhere on the scale between dedicated to dogmatic. Its master was a longtime coaching mentor for Phil, a journeyman coach by the name of Tex Winter. Hello, I'm Tex Winter, head basketball coach at Kansas State University. You know the team that's well-conditioned that is the old newsreel of Tex Winter explaining the in and outs of the triangle offense. The triangle is formed between forward two, guard one, who has now moved to the corner, and center five, who forms the apex of the triangle. So the triangle offense basically a set of motions and, and reads. When the ball goes here, you're going there, and you're making these cuts. Mota Keel is a co-host on the Athletic NBA show. Before that, he had worked for years in the NBA as a video coordinator for the L.A. Clippers and San Antonio Spurs. It is a role that requires watching and analyzing thousands of hours of game film. The triangle offense is setting up the strong side with three guys, one in the post, one guy in the corner, and one in the wing. Then you have two guys on the weak side, one at the elbow and one kind of around the above the break three, maybe top of the key, but just generally in that area. It creates naturally actually spacing. He immediately looks to weak side forward four, who moves to a pinch post position. Three passes to four and executes it's a quick outside. It's very detailed and, and you have to be pretty intelligent, but not just you. You have to have five guys that are really smart and, and, and fully understand it to get it. And that's why sometimes there are guys that just struggle with it. The Keel says as successful as the triangle has been with Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant, it is a system that is difficult for players to fit into. There are specific guys that you're looking at and you're kind of saying like, man, he's not really a triangle kind of guy. It's not a ball dominant offense. So like a ball dominant point guard probably struggles with the triangle if they're not willing to give up the ball. Like James Harden is the the anti-triangle guy, right? Like the ball needs to be in his hands to be productive and to be uh, valuable. A lot of guys who maybe don't have the understanding of space, one to cut, one not to cut, one to make moves, it's going to be challenging in that sense. But for the most part, like the most obvious thing is if you're a ball dominant person, 
probably not the offense you want. In theory, the triangle should have been an offense that would elevate Carmelo Anthony's game to make him less of a ball stopper, fit more into the flow of our offense. But Dakeel says that just wasn't Carmelo's game. You know, the funny thing is he'd probably be a really good triangle guy right now because a lot of the stuff he does is he operates out of the post, uh, you know, the mid post area like that. Where he'd probably be perfect for the triangle now. But, you know, Melo in his heyday could score from anywhere, you know, and he took advantage. He did work in the post some and, and, and it probably would have worked some in, with the Knicks in that instance. But he also liked to kind of dribble pull up. He liked the kind of attack from the wing and things like that. Jeff Hornacek would later be hired by Phil Jackson to coach the Knicks. Hornacek says the initial goal was to run triangle concepts, but it was difficult for players to quickly pick up. Carmelo knew it. You know, he knew the whole offense. And that's why he he ended up in the spots that usually got the shot because he knew how to work that system. Carmelo's a smart player. He He knew the offense. But, you know, with that type of offense, you need five guys on the court at the same time that can read like Carmelo could read it and you know it was new to a lot of guys and it was just hard to uh, get it going that way and especially in today's NBA where players are moving around you know they're not with a team for six seven eight years you know there's some but a lot of guys are moving around and you have to have the cohesiveness of playing year in and year out to really run that system effectively and uh, that was the hardest thing again it was it seemed like that would probably take a couple years to do Uh, we didn't really get that opportunity to, to try to make that work. And normally, a head coach is the smartest basketball person inside a professional basketball team. But with the Knicks under Phil Jackson, coaches like Hornacek and Fisher have a different type of boss. It's obviously Phil knows what he's talking about. But even today's game, the GMs and those guys, they want that relationship with the coach to try to work together. And being with Phil was was no different. You know, he he saw things. He wanted me to take a look at this or that. And. He never really tried to get in and and change things. Um, what he, you know, he would just give suggestions, and and that's, you know, for a coach. I know today's game, if a GM gives you some suggestions, they're probably like you said. Well, you know, the feeling might be I might know more than this guy. Uh, um, but with Phil, you're going okay. I'll take a look at that, and you know, we try it out in practice and see if the guys uh, can grasp that concept. All of it together. Phil wanting the team to run the triangle, but not being able to coach the team. The Knicks coach, first Derek Fisher and later Jeff Hornacek, not fully committed to the system. And Carmelo, skeptical of the benefits of the triangle, created a disjointed power structure that played out on the court. You know, there was a time after a Nick win where, you know, I was told I reported it that Phil had communicated that Hornacek, he wanted the team to run more of the triangle offense, that they didn't run enough. This was after a win. You know, it's just illustrative of the idea of Phil, you know, wanting his, what worked for him as a coach to also work for uh, this Knicks team. And where it hurt the Knicks was in the locker room because I think the players knew that Phil was having so much input on what they were doing on the court. Talked to coaches outside of the Nick organization and they thought it was crazy that Phil, you know, would sometimes be on the practice floor and had as much input as he did into what happens on the court. But back in 2014, Derek Fisher was tasked with carrying out Phil's favorite offense while attempting to transition from being an NBA player to becoming an NBA coach. And as Ian Begley says, that first season was a disaster from start to finish. They struggled early on. It was almost a brand new team. They were really bad. I don't know how it happened. I don't know what 
precipitated it, but there was there became a communication issue between Fisher and Phil Jackson at some point where they just weren't communicating as regularly as they had been. What event led to that, I'm not sure, but when you're hired to be this conduit to the team president as a head coach and seen as this, you know, perfect extension of the way Phil wants things done, and then you guys stop communicating, I mean, that's an issue. In Phil's first season as team president, the Knicks had their worst record in franchise history. The one and only benefit of all that losing was that the Knicks had the second best odds in the NBA draft lottery. But on the night of the lottery drawing, and the fourth pick in the 2015 NBA draft goes to the New York Knicks. That draft slot drop ended up being a stroke of luck. Knicks fans didn't know it yet, but a mystical beast from the Baltic Sea, a unicorn, was on his way to New York. Atención al alley perfecto entre Berti Rodriguez y Christopher Singes. As a teenager playing professional basketball in Spain, Kristaps Porzingis was a complete oddity. Heading into the 2015 NBA draft, the Latvian was the most fascinating prospect. Incredibly long, athletic, skilled, and skinny as hell. It was hard for the NBA executives to process exactly what Kristaps could be. For Clarence Gaines, who the Knicks sent to Spain to scout the seven-footer, he knew instantly what Porzingis was. I'd say about the second quarter, which I rarely did with Phil. I texted Phil from Madrid. This is what I said to him. This is, I'm watching Porzingis. He's a must-see for you. He's a candidate for the number one pick. I love his athleticism, movement, and skill. Easily in my top five. Start watching tape. Gaines was reading off his text messages to Phil Jackson and the Knicks general manager, Steve Mills. His in-the-moment thoughts about Porzingis during the draft process. And I would later go on. And I'll share this with you. The apple of my eye from this trip is Savila's Kristap Porzingis. Takes one two minutes to realize this kid is a special talent. He easily is in my top five and is a candidate for the number one pick. He won't get picked number one, but he should be in the discussion. He's that talented. I was fortunate to see Dirk Nowitzki at the Nike Hoop Summit in San Antonio when he was at an equivalent age. Closest I've seen to Dirk since then, and he's better athletically. Gaines runs through a CVS receipt level long list of positives he witnessed from Porzingis. Nice shooting mechanics, quick jumper, a top-notch athlete. At 7'1", 220 pounds, long arms, long torso, hands appear small to average, but they're good and soft hands in terms of catching and claiming the ball. And a player that can fit into the triangle offense. Willing passer out of the post can handle all decision-making and ball-handling aspects of the triangle. Comfortable wing, pinch, low post, and maybe even on top of the floor. Step to the back door and execute a high-low option with other young big who is a prospect. That would be Willie Hernan Gomez, who we ended up picking. But intrigued Gaines about Porzingis was more than just his physical gifts. Gaines felt that Porzingis was equipped to handle the special pressure that comes with being a New York Nick. We took him out to, to eat to a little Italian restaurant. Got to know him and... Uh, just the engaging young man who had the personality to be able to uh, just to interact with people and handle different the rigors of being uh, in the NBA, specifically in New York City. He really understood that this kid's psychological makeup was special. But a lot of things I liked about the sociological aspect of uh, his upbringing, the influence, which I viewed at the time as positive as his brother uh, Giannis, uh, the fact that 
when he went to Spain, not every kid does this, at the age of 14 and 15, he still pursued his education and ended up getting a high school degree. Not every kid who gets taken into that environment at that age does that. Gaines says the team's primary concern, mostly voiced by Phil Jackson, was focused on Porzingis' body type. Could Porzingis hold up over an 82-game NBA season? Despite those concerns, the Knicks felt like they had found their man for the draft. For Knicks fans, though, they still had to come around to the idea of the team drafting Chris Stapps. You're thinking Frederick Vice automatically. Oh, it's hard. You know, we're scarred from that, from that draft. So you're automatically thinking Frederick Vice. Casey Powell, better known as CP from Knicks Fan TV, a YouTube show dedicated to all things Knicks, was at a Knicks draft night party at the Hulu Theater in the Garden when the team took Porzingis. The reaction in the room was not exactly positive. With the fourth pick in the 2015 NBA draft, the New York Knicks selects Kristaps Porzingis from Leopaya, Latvia. I was there. And I was there when the booze rang down. It was, yeah, they were like, who is this guy? You know, we've ne- <laughs> I have never heard this guy. You know, you couldn't even hear the interview because the place was, they were just so pissed. You know, we were looking at Justice Winslow and, and all the, and Emmanuel Moutier and all of that. And so the, it was just disappointment, man. There was not one person that was like, this is a good, this is a great pick. No one knew who he was. CP and the other Knicks fans at the draft watch party were not alone at their anger at Phil taking Porzingis in the draft. And if I seem a bit agitated, yes, it would happen to be because as a native New Yorker, I'm completely disgusted. That is ESPN commentator Stephen A. Smith, who was on vacation during the draft, but felt compelled to get in front of a camera to deliver his disgust over the Porzingis pick. New York Knicks fans, we have been hoodwinked, bamboozled, led astray, run amok, and flat out deceived by Phil Jackson and the New York Knicks. As the primary scout behind the selection of Porzingis, Clarence Gaines heard all the boos, all the anger from Knicks fans, and all the analysis from Stephen A. Smith, who Gaines' father recruited to play basketball at Winston-Salem State. But amongst all that animosity, all Gaines could do was laugh. The average fan obviously doesn't have that insight. So when they get upset and they boo a Chris Stapps Porzingis, I'm like laughing my ass off because they don't have a clue. When Stephen A. Smith, who played for my father, came out with pontificating about the ridiculousness of the Knicks team, shut up because you don't know what you're talking about. And I love I saw him about a year, two years later after Chris Stapps established himself and them trying to make excuses and back out of what is on the media, it was laughable. It didn't take long for Porzingis to win over Nick fans. From day one, the then 20-year-old produced for the team, putting up double-doubles while sprinkling in a steady mix of highlights, the type of plays that make fans go, how the fuck did he do that? This is really kind of the start of the age of the unicorns, uh, right? Like this is when they first started walking the earth in the NBA. Mike Volkanov, who covers the Knicks for the Athletic, says Porzingis was part of a new breed of NBA players. Seven-footers that could move like guards, bomb three-pointers from deep, and protect the rim. A unicorn. You know, Kevin Durant gave him that nickname. He's 7'3", he's shooting threes, right? So that's, like, super untraditional. He can run the break, he defends the rim. Uh, He's kind of got, like, you know, he's got kind of a bubbly personality. 
especially for a 7-3 guy. He liked the attention, you could tell. Um, he liked being in New York. And it was nice because he also had Carmelo Anthony to take the heat for him, right? If something goes wrong with the Knicks and the fans want to blame a player, they're going to blame Carmelo. Kristaps uh, Porzingis wasn't yet you know, wearing the burden of being the star player. And as rare as Porzingis was as a player, he represented something even more elusive for Knicks fans, a young star that the franchise drafted and could build around. He had the benefit of being a homegrown guy, and so obviously that endeared him to Knicks fans even more. It wasn't, you know, the history of the Knicks the last, like, you know, since Patrick Ewing, basically, is that if they get a good player, it's because they had to sign him in free agency. They had to bring him in. They had to clear cap space or tank or whatever. They landed him the draft, and it worked, and the Knicks could follow this normal roster build uh, to getting a star in-house. And so it was just a good relationship from the very start. The potential of Porzingis opened up an entirely new route for the Knicks to get back to where they used to be with Patrick Ewing. Waz Lambre. Chris Stapp's Porzingis, more than a player, he was a symbol for New York Knicks fans for what could be, you know, a way forward, a light at the end of the dark, drab, stinky, horrible tunnel, right? Chris Stapp symbolized that in the minds of so many Knicks fans. But all the excitement around Porzingis' rookie year did not translate to wins on the court. The team started off with controversy. An off day during training camp, Knicks head coach Derek Fisher flew across the country to California for some personal time. Part of that time included a visit to his girlfriend, who was the ex-wife and mother of NBA player Matt Barnes' kids. Barnes and Fisher got into a fight that led to a two-game suspension for Barnes and became a running tabloid story for weeks. Derek Fisher again, another Nick calamity. This man, to go see his new girlfriend, who is his old teammate's wife, a line that players know not to ever cross, and he basically lost the team right after that. It's like, how am I going to respect Derek Fisher? His ex-teammate's wife gets beat up in the process, and now I'm supposed to respect this guy? This is was Phil Jackson's hire. In a recent interview, Phil Jackson admitted Fisher's personal issues undermined his authority within the team. On the court, beyond Carmelo and Chris Stapps, the rest of the Knicks roster was lacking in talent. The team played 500 basketball into mid-January, but then only won three out of the next 14 games. As the Knicks were headed towards another non-competitive season, Phil fired Fisher and installed his friend Kurt Rambis in place to finish out the year. The communication issues were a factor. I think Derek Fisher's altercation with Matt Barnes causing him to miss a practice and then that turning into a complete sideshow, I think that was a factor. Phil, in the aftermath of it, mentioned the idea that Derek was not the kind of leader that he was looking for. Uh, I guess he was trying to say, Phil maybe said, without saying directly, that Fisher was a uh, a, a transactional leader rather than a transformational leader, which was surprising to me because I thought Fisher's leadership was one of the qualities that Phil and the Knicks liked when they hired Fisher. But, you know, Phil, I guess, took issue with that. Um, and that was it. And Phil felt that he needed to make a change. For all that his hiring was supposed to bring, competitiveness, competency, and wins, the Knicks under Phil Jackson were the complete opposite. And as the team was looking for a new coach, there was an ever-expanding rift between Phil and the franchise's star player. I mean, I don't remember a team president or GM just messing with his star player so openly and publicly and just a full-scale dumpster fire. Much more on that coming up after the break. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service that you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Phil liked stoking the flames, shooting off a few sparks here and there in the course of a season. We saw him do it with the Bulls. We saw him do it with the Lakers. He didn't mind some conflict. Howard Beck for Sports Illustrated says Phil Jackson, as a head coach, would needle his players in the press. It was a motivational tactic. The problem is, Phil carried that same tactic with him when he moved into the executive's office. But it's different as a team president. When you're in the gym with these guys every day as head coach, if you say something in the media that's kind of sideways or put them in a bad light, they can walk right up to you next day at practice and go, Phil, dude, what was that? And you can have a conversation because there's already a trust and a rapport built up because they work together every day. When you're a team president, that's not the case. You're not necessarily in the gym every day. And when you are, you're on the sidelines. You're not communicating with them every day. Your players don't know you as well. Very few players in this league have like a, a really strong relationship with the GM or team president. It's just, it's not the way it goes. And with the Knicks, Phil happened to target most of his public criticism directly at the most important person on the team. Carmelo Anthony. No one wants to be uh, publicly insulted by your boss, right? The Athletics Knicks reporter, Mike Volkanov. The Carmelo thing got to be pretty ugly. <laughs> you know, the way that it was happening, kind of a true Knicks fashion, it was kind of like a black comedy, really. But it was still pretty ugly if you just looked at it, because where else do you remember the team president of any NBA team trying to push out his star player? Um, you know, criticizing him publicly. A totally weird time, and Carmelo Anthony was like, he wasn't dodging it either. Taylor Rooks, now at Bleacher Report, was an anchor at SNY during the Phil Jackson era. The Phil Carmelo feud was a daily source of story ideas to talk about on air. Every day was kind of like, okay, did Phil do anything today that we're gonna talk about, you know, on the show? And Melo, of course, was this big kind of epicenter of that. I remember there was a time where Phil essentially said Carmelo would be better off somewhere else, right? And then you kind of have Carmelo like sub-tweeting or sub-Instagramming Phil Jackson. Like It was just wild. And, and there was even a time that Phil Jackson had almost tweeted approval of an article that bashed Mello some. So obviously any time there is this like constant clash between like players and a president, first off, you rarely see that, but it was happening often here. 
Phil Jackson, he's embarrassing himself because he's a 71-year-old man acting like a child. He is a player that would be better off somewhere else and using his talent somewhere where he can win or chase that championship. Let's be clear on this. Phil Jackson wants him out. I see the writing on the wall. The writing is, you don't know what writing is on the wall, though. I don't know. You can tell me. <laughs> but I see the writing on the wall. Phil Jackson is trying to find a scapegoat to cover over the stuff that he did. And his target is Carmelo Anthony. When it comes to Phil, you just never know what's, what's going to be said, what's coming out. Here's the problem. I think they're stuck in a bad marriage. Phil doesn't want him. Melo doesn't want Phil, but he wants to stay in New York. But who else wants Carmelo Anthony? We have a rule. If you hold a pass two seconds, you benefit the defense. So he has a little bit of a tendency to hold it the three, four, five seconds. That devolved into Melo's a ball hog, which Anthony responded to with a post on Instagram that reads, unfazed, my life summed up in one photo. That photo is Muhammad Ali removing arrows from his skin. I don't know how the relationship's going to change. Your team president and your star player have such a disconnect. It's, it's just not a good thing for, for a franchise. Oh, no, this is New York. It's always drama. <laughs> this thing, if it if it festers, this could have an impact on the team. Spotlight is be on Mello and Phil. It's not good for the team. We are competitive now. I like the competitive nature. I think right now we have a loser's mentality because we're not finishing the games. People are tired of hearing about the triangle offense, which they barely run. They're tired of hearing about the tweets. I don't even know my role. I don't know my role, to be honest. Phil's comments extended further than Carmelo, hitting one of Carmelo's closest friends in the NBA, LeBron James. Phil Jackson, in talking about LeBron James, who has famously empowered his friends in his business enterprise um, and surrounded himself with his friends as he's made this, you know, global ascent to stardom and power in the league and elsewhere. He called him a posse, uh, which has obvious, you know, kind of racist, racist connotations um, that drew ire from LeBron that drew ire from a bunch of people. And Phil had to say that he said that he had to have known just how close LeBron and and Carmelo Anthony were. During an interview on CBS Sports Network, Phil was asked about the posse comment and said that his word choice was something he could regret. When he was asked whether he would apologize to LeBron, Phil responded. No, it's water under the bridge. I don't think there's anybody hurt or harmed in this situation. I think, you know, LeBron's, you know, friend obviously had an issue with it. So, you know, we just let it go. It's it's not enough to talk about. Wass Lambrey says the posse comment and continual attacks on Carmelo made the Knicks under Phil Jackson look anti-player. I don't think the average fan understands the level of reverence that Carmelo's peers have for him. He's one of the most well-liked, well-respected guys in the league amongst his peers. Like, these guys love him. They just remember when he was a freaking killer. Carmelo's reputation around the league is, is crazy. Like, his peers revere him man so of course the players were going to be like what the fuck man what's up with this guy this that's carmelo anthony you know like how can you do that to carmelo anthony the carmelo phil feud became the dominant story surrounding the knicks but bubbling under the surface was another issue that would eventually lead to phil jackson's downfall at the garden knicks fans were a little uneasy as to what's going on here what can you say to them well I think we know what we're doing. That's what I can say to them, although it's not been apparent in our record in the last couple of years. It is the end of the 2017 season. Going into the year, expectations had been high. In the offseason, the Knicks traded for former MVP Derrick Rose. 
and signed his old teammate, Joaquim Noah. Add those two, along with Carmelo and Porzingis, the thought was the Knicks could compete for a playoff spot. They had signed some older players, Derek and Joakim, uh, and I think it was just trying to give us some other veteran players to to uh, maybe get going. You know, they won the same amount of games the year before. Jeff Hornacek says what had made Rose and Noah successful in the past didn't line up with how the game was being played in the three-point shooting era. It's, it's a different game now. You know, a lot of that league is shooting a lot of threes. Um, and that, the guys we had really didn't fit totally in that. KP could, Carmelo could, Derek was a, a guy getting to the basket. You know, Joe was inside. Um, so, you know, it's uh, at that time and for what the game was, uh, you know, the hope was maybe we caught lightning in a bottle there with those older players, uh, but it just didn't work out. The Knicks finished 31-51 and 51 that season. One fewer win than the year before. And the most memorable part of that season unfortunately, was Charles Oakley, a legendary Nick, getting dragged out of the garden by MSG's security staff. Right now everybody looking over there. The, apparently there's a, there's a Charles Oakley over there, Mike, right in, the, in the stands. The Oakley incident, the Phil Carmelo feud, the bad basketball, all of it set up a situation that put the team's young star in direct opposition with management. Details of Kristaps Porzingis' skipped exit interview with the Knicks are starting to come to light. The interview was scheduled with former team president. Here was the supposed young star of the team with this kind of like active insubordination. He was in his second season, right? Like, you know, he wasn't like a star. He hadn't made an all-star team yet, but he skipped the exit meetings. And it was, first of all, I was like, okay, I didn't know Kristaps Porzingis had this in him. Uh, You know, like it was the first signs of kind of fractures between him and the organization and just the fact that he didn't like how things were going, but it was pretty strong power move. This was all against the backdrop of the last part of that season where Phil and Carmelo Anthony had been warring pretty publicly, mostly driven by Phil and, and his open desire to get Carmelo Anthony out of there. And here comes Porzingis, who was like, okay, you know, whatever happens here, the Knicks still have Porzingis to hold on to. And he pulls this power play uh, and skips the exit meetings. And it's, you know, this first public sign that like, okay, the Knicks really have problems here that that go deep uh, into the organization. Porzingis's frustrations were multi-level. Longtime NBA reporter and columnist Peter Vesey reported that Porzingis was furious over a comment Hornacek made at practice. Vesey says Hornacek told Porzingis to, quote, stop playing like a pussy. In our conversation, Hornacek said that minor blow-up had no effect on why Porzingis skipped the exit meeting with Phil. Yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, there was a little thing, but to me as a, as a player and, and a coach, it's, that's no big deal. You know, that stuff happens all the time. Uh, it was a very minor thing. It was actually a misinterpretation of uh, something that was said uh, uh, that got back to him and, and he wasn't happy about it. From what Hornacek understood at the time, Porzingis' main frustration was a lack of direction for the franchise. Uh, I think KP was, he was starting to get the feeling of, you know, he wants to be on a winning team. You know, I think going into that year, he thought he knew they were going to move Carmelo on and you know, even though it was going to be his team, he saw the roster, and I think he was thinking that, you know, I'm, I'm not sure how good this team's going to be. Uh, and that was part of it. And, uh, you know, things that happened that first year that that may have come up, uh, um, you know, with how Carmelo was handled and this and that. The central complaint 
Only Chris Stapps can answer that question. For Clarence Gaines, Phil's right-hand man in the Knicks front office believes it is clear exactly how Porzingis felt in that moment. He kind of made his uh, thoughts evident by his actions, right? Omar Angelou said, if somebody shows you who they are, believe them the first time. So if Chris Stapps is showing you through his actions where he wants to be, what his attitude is, how he's interacting and dealing with people, believe it. That's, that's pretty simplistic. And again, all this hysteria was over in the exit interview. But to Phil Jackson, Porzingis' act of insubordination was a serious offense. When a guy doesn't show up at an exit meeting, everybody starts speculating on, you know, the duration or years in movability from a club. So we've been getting calls. Almost from the moment Porzingis missed his exit meeting, reports started to come out that the Knicks were considering trading their young star. In a tense interview with Al Troutwick on MSG TV, Phil confirmed that he was talking to other teams about Porzingis, and he would do what's best for the Knicks. Troutwick then asked directly, And what would be good for the club? Why would you do that? Future. You know, what, what it brings, there's a bring us two starters and a draft pick or, you know, something that's even beyond that is something that we have to look at as far as uh, going down the road. The trust Knicks fans had in Phil eroded during his feuds with Carmelo. But the idea that Phil was thinking of trading Porzingis nearly led to a revolt. Phil was, when he was doing that, he was going against the fans. And then Chris Stapp, like, forget it. Like, this was the golden child. This was the best Nick decision since, what, the Sprewell trade? The initial Hughes, Allen Houston signing? Like, I don't, like, this was the single greatest Nick trade or acquisition or transaction, whatever you want to call it, in decades, man. So the idea that Phil was spitting on that, fans were just like, Bro, you've been here for a few years now. You've delivered not a single thing for us. Get out of here. It is at this point that James Dolan finally re-enters the picture. He had reportedly kept his word to Phil, staying out of basketball business. But the business of basketball for the Knicks had gone bankrupt under Phil. Dolan made the move to reinsert himself into the garden. The Kristaps thing, and then it was also just contentiousness, the public contentiousness with Carmelo Anthony. Those two things kind of put together side by side. Probably made James Dolan get back into the fray. Carmelo had this draw for people at MSG, and obviously James Dolan had engineered his trade to New York in 2011. I think those two things, the both kind of falling out with Carmelo, and then now here's this publicly ugly episode with the next star probably drew him back in and said, okay, we, we need to make a change here. Early Wednesday morning, Phil Jackson appears to be on his way out in New York as president of the Knicks. And joining us now on the phone is Ramona Shelburne. And Ramona, what do you know? I think this all accelerated very quickly on Tuesday. And a lot of these conversations... Phil Jackson. A 13-time NBA champion was fired after just three seasons with the Knicks. The gap between what Phil was supposed to bring to the team when he was hired versus what he ended up doing was huge. Phil was brought in to instill a culture that the organization desperately needed, except it was the chaos he sowed that brought about his end. Phil was supposed to bring a system, the triangle, that would help elevate Carmelo's game. 
In the end, Carmelo's game declined and he rejected Phil's system. And most important of all, Phil was supposed to win. In his three seasons running the team, the Knicks' win totals were 17, 32, and 31, the franchise's worst three-year stretch in decades. Phil's startling failure put the Knicks in a hole. But as we've seen many times over the past two decades, there's always another savior prepared to resurrect the once great Knicks. Kyrie Irving is heading to yes, Madison sir. Square Garden with Kevin Durant. They are destined to go to MSG, which is why I put it at 95%. So it appears to be a foregone conclusion. Much more on that next time on Shattered. Subscribe to Shattered wherever you get your podcast to check out more great stories about sports and culture, plus ad-free episodes of Shattered. Go to theathletic.com forward slash Shattered to get a special offer on a monthly subscription. Shattered is part of The Athletic's culture coverage. Shattered is executive produced by Chuck D., Lori Bula, and Matt Havia. Mike Smeltz is the producer. J.P. Hesser is the engineer. Tayo Papula is the audio editor. 